0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk, with you as always. And today, man, look, we're past the point where we're talking about small sample sizes. We're 20 games into the season, so Dan Feldman from NBC Sports is joining me. We're going to talk about the surprises of the season, the trends of the season, who's up, who's down, plus have some A little bit too early, but fun to talk about award talk. We've got a bunch of your questions and comments to go into the conversation. It's going to be a blast. Just a quick note. Today we are brought to you by StockX.com. Look, this revolutionary sneaker market. It's like a stock market for sneakers. You got to go check it out. You can find everything there. Look, I wear retro Jordans to games. It's one of the great parts about working in the NBA. I like getting them at StockX.com. Go to StockX.com slash ProBB and check it out. StockX.com slash ProBB. StockX. Now you know. All right, let's get to it and start talking about this season. And as promised, we welcome in Dan Feldman to talk about all this. How's it going today, Dan? Good. How are you? Doing pretty well, man. Let's let's get into talking about the season. It's kind of fun now that we can stop saying small sample size quite as often. But um, there's still one of the big themes still exist. Like, the pace is definitely up this season. I mean, everybody talks about scoring being up, but that's mostly just because teams are running right now.
1: They are. I mean, pace does usually go down throughout the season. Players get tired. Uh, players come into into camp in better shape than ever that's kind of a a modern thing it used to be that guys would use training camp and the preseason and if you were a good veteran a lot of the season to get into shape but guys come ready to go and i think more so they get worn down and slow down a little bit as the season goes along now so i don't expect to stay up at this level but it's still so high uh, that it's going to be one of the highest paces we've seen in a while when it ends up i think
0: yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, look, the, the mean pace this year is actually, uh, oddly, the the Golden State Warriors, just a little over 101, and if you're curious, that's up about a l- almost three possessions from a year ago. Like, it's a little over three, po- you know, about three possessions a game. That's six, six trips up and down the court. It's slowing down a little already, but I think you're going to see more and more of that, is the, even if it slows down a little, it's just... It's opening up offenses, guys are getting better look, and it's leading to that, that increased scoring, which, frankly, yeah, Adam Silver even said this as much, they wanted that. <laughs> this is exactly what they wanted. Um, the, the other thing that I think is just an overarching theme, I wrote about this in uh, Three Things today, man, the West is tight. It, it, there is five and a half games now separating the 14 seed and the one seed. And it, yeah, it's early in the season still, but I mean... You're the Utah Jazz. You're the 14 seed. You're only a game out of the a game and a half out of the last spot in the playoffs. Like you, everybody is still in this, and it's going to have impacts. It's going to keep the trade trade market a little bit down. It's it's just going to be interesting in the West. The West is just as much as we thought it would be tight, Dan. It's tighter.
1: Before the season, who did you have third or second and third in the West?
0: Houston. That's the thing. It's Houston and Utah would have been. Second and third for me with with Denver fourth. And Denver's kinda lived up to that, but Houston and Utah have really struggled. Meanwhile, Sacramento's looked good. I mean it's just it's nuts.
1: Yep, I had uh Houston and Utah also, and they are the teams that are thirteenth and fourteenth. So it's one thing to say it's really close, uh really from one to fourteen. That is absolutely true. I think it's even closer than it looks on paper because I haven't given up on the Rockets or Jazz. I think those are very talented teams that have a lot going for them and haven't started well. And, yes, we do need to probably reconfigure expectations a little bit. But the fact that it's those teams, it's not like – the Kings are in a fairly competitive 14th where you say, okay, well, they could fall back down to earth. They they already have a little bit of an advantage now on teams like the Rockets and jazz. And, and so I think that makes it even closer.
0: Yeah. And Minnesota's now got to dig itself out of the hole uh, created by the Jimmy Butler thing. And you know, they've played a little better, but you know, we'll see. It's just, the whole thing is, it's really condensed. It leads to a really interesting conversation. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I'm
1: glad. I'm glad you brought up Minnesota. There, I mean, the Timberwolves are are the next spot up, one ahead of the Rockets, uh, tied for eleventh, and they're surging. I, yeah. You know, I don't know exactly how much of that is small sample without Jimmy Butler, but they are headed in the right direction. It seems seem to be on a better track. So again, it's all those teams at the bottom of that fourteen team pack that seem to be the most dangerous going yeah, forward.
0: Exactly. By the way, I think when you get into the big surprises of the season. Utah to me is is right at the top of that list. I mean, we'll get to Boston in second, but like Utah, I just I didn't think their defense would be okay. And man, they can't they cannot shoot a three right now. They just they cannot hit shots.
1: I'm not terrible. I mean, I'm concerned about them. Right their their record is not at all what we thought they would be. They haven't looked as good. They're they're nine and twelve, but I'm not as concerned as most people are. i I'll, I'll say they've had an extremely tough schedule. They've yes. gone on the road a lot. They've played good teams. I know they're not going to get a huge break playing in this conference for all the reasons we just talked about, but their schedule will get a little bit easier. I do think they'll start to figure it out. Uh, It has not been a good start. I'm not as high in them as I was entering the season, but I'm just still not as worried as everybody else.
0: Yeah, I think that there is something to, like, the shots will be falling, you know, right now— Guys like Donovan Mitchell and and um, every basically anybody not named Joe Ingles can't shoot a three right now and like that, that'll change a little bit. I still think their def, their defense has been good with Rudy Gobert on the floor, but not kind of the all time historic lockdowny defense it was last year when he was on the floor. Um, I think it will get better. I think you said I think that they improve. The other question that's going on around the league, Dan, is is what is up with the Boston Celtics because that's That's another team that just is confounding the start the season.
1: Well, see, at least the Celtics, their defense is what we expected to be one of the very best in the league. So really all their problems are offensively. They can't get to the rim. They look very disjointed. They look like they have a bunch of players who don't know how to play with each other. Uh, Gordon Hayward has not looked good. He still has a major role on that team, which maybe you just have to play through it and it'll improve as he gets back from injury. But it's dicey right now.
0: Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head right now. That team settles for a lot of mid-range jumpers, man. They, they just, they really settle a lot. And Jason Tatum is right at the top of the list. Jalen Brown can't shoot right now. Uh, Kyrie's always kind of liked to pull up, so I and I kind of forgive him because he hits him at a pretty, fairly good clip. But Al Horford's looked a step slower. He hasn't gotten the same. And it just, they're not, they need to just... They need to be downhill and attack a little bit. They need to, you know, stop pulling the Zach Levine pull up on threes for the game shot and just go to the rim. By the way, Fred Hoiberg was right about that. That was a disastrous decision. But we don't have time to break down all the Bulls bad decisions in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The problem with going downhill is the way this team was built. It was counting on Gordon Hayward to do a lot of that. When he was in his last season with the Jazz and healthy, I mean, he was awesome at attacking the rim, uh, and whether that was finishing himself or dishing to a teammate, or if he got a little space, you know, he could make a jumper too uh, because he had that multifaceted game. Without the ability to get to the rim, it just makes things so much harder for him. It gums up the works, and, you know, do you want to – do you want to de-emphasize him so much in an attempt to fix these problems, uh, but risk some long-term him not getting back from injury and getting in a groove as quickly? You know, these, these are tough trade-offs to make.
0: Yeah, and the other thing early in the season, Dan, I think going into the season, we both had the Clippers winning the West, right? <laughs>
1: I, uh, I had them almost
0: making the playoffs yeah exactly I had them just on the outside too they the depth on that team and talk about a team that's just meshed well uh they're just fun to watch right now they are like becoming a league pass favorite.
1: Yeah, they play hard. I think that's really the, the secret of them, is that they're so deep, they can always play hard. Nobody's yeah. going to have to play a ton of minutes more than they're equipped to handle. So you can come in, give all your energy, you don't have to pace yourself, and they've got a mean streak. They are, they are fun.
0: Yeah, they are fun. Plus, obviously, we're all rooting because Boban in the playoffs would just be awesome. We all, we all, we all, you miss him out there in Detroit. We, you know, people love him out here in LA that uh, we, we just need him in the postseason on a bigger stage, right?
1: I, I don't understand. I mean, the Clippers have a lot of things going for them. And some nights they use Boban and it works great. I don't understand why there's not a team that doesn't have something going for it. That's kind of stuck. and says, Hey, what if we tried to play Boban every night and we're not going to wait for the right matchup. We're going to dictate it we're going to force feed Boban and let him be Bobon because when he when he plays when teams trust him he's awesome yeah and yes it looks rough in the wrong matchups when you're going against a stretch big or a fast-paced team he, he struggles to keep up but maybe you can make that that matchup work on the other side too I you know it, it seems like he he's been he's a maybe a little bit underused on the Clippers not that they need him and that's the problem.
0: Yeah, one of the first questions we got from uh listeners was uh for this podcast was from Alfredo Rodriguez and asked as a result of this turnarounds are the Clippers in elite Cinderella. To which I would say uh no, I still don't like I still don't think they're knocking on the they're reaching the conference finals but they look like a playoff team to me now, which is more than I would have said.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I don't know exactly what a Cinderella is. I, I think yeah. I think a lot of players in that Clippers locker room would take offense to being called a Cinderella. Yes.
0: Yeah. The other, I will say this, which is interesting for them going forward, if you're a free agent this summer, one of the big names, and obviously they've been mentioned as a potential Kawhi destination or Kevin Durant and all these, you know, they're they're big game hunting. That's suddenly kind of an attractive core, like especially if they can find a way to keep Tobias Harris. Tobias. through a, Yeah. If they yeah. can keep Tobias through this. That's suddenly that's suddenly a place with an with an all star level you know top ten level player becomes really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the catch is they've got a a fun, exciting team that plays hard that that attracts players, and they'll have a ton of cap space. But it's going to be really hard to maintain both of those things yeah. while just adding somebody. Right? You're going to have to get the reason you have cap space is so you have these good players on expiring contracts, and you can't easily keep them and add a star or especially multiple stars uh so it's tough to have them both that's why i really look at uh in particular for them I mean, maybe they can keep tobias harris or somebody else or pick and choose the right combination but they've got two young players who are relatively yes. cheap who look very promising for the future and shea gilgis alexander and montrez harrell those guys uh to me, even though they're not the best players on the team right now, it's Tobias Harris, and then if you want to have Lou Williams, or however you want to split it up, although Montrezl Harrell is having an awesome season, uh, those are the guys who, to me, look like the most important players for appealing to free agents.
0: Exactly. You, these are guys who are going to get better over time, too. Dan... I just want to take a quick break to talk about StockX. Look, I know you wear a lot of NBA basketball shoes around. I do, too. I like wearing them to games. I do wear them around. I know a lot of you out there listening do, too, and you probably wonder, like, how can I get the hottest sneakers? Like, ones that have barely hit the shelves or more rare stuff. The answer is StockX.com. It's like this great revolutionary marketplace if you're into sneakers and you're trying to buy them as well as like street wears and watches and handbags. Look, it's really simple. It's kind of the same as a stock market. You go there, you look at what people are willing to offer and willing to pay for some of these great like retro Jordans or the new Yeezys or whatever it is you're looking for. They've got them there and they've got them... At Well, fair prices. Look, this is what the market's willing to pay. This is what's available out there. You outbid somebody and you can get it. It's really that simple. StockX uses all the same principles as the stock market. Plus, they give you not only real-time data now, but historical data on what shoes have gone for. So you've got the information you need to make smart decisions about buying these shoes, like what you're willing to pay, what's too much, what's too little. On top of that, the risk is all gone. Stock X is the middleman. They look at the shoes before they send them to you so that you know you're getting a quality, real product. This isn't some fake. This isn't some knockoff. This is the real thing. If you're paying for the shoe or if you're selling the shoe, look, you know you're getting to deal with real buyers and real sellers. You don't get burned by fakes ever again. It's awesome. Look, this is a great thing. Look, you just need to go check it out. You need to see what it's like. And trust me, you'll get hooked just like I did. Go to StockX.com slash ProBB. That's StockX.com slash ProBB, as in Pro Basketball. Check them out. See what you can find there. Trust me, you're going to get hooked. You're going to end up buying just like I did. StockX, now you know. Another question while we're on general things comes from Richard Tatiano. Um, Random question. Would it make sense for the Spurs to tank? And with that, do you like the Spurs' young players? That includes Derek White, Bryn Forbes... David Bertrands, and Lonnie Walker. Um, I'll let you have the first shot at that.
1: Uh, I mean, if you are the Spurs, no, it does not make sense to tank. You have Greg Popovich. You have LaMarcus Aldridge. You have DeMar DeRozan. You have these players and a coach who are ready to win. They're at the point in their lives, in their careers, where they want to win, where they're capable of winning. Uh, That's the Spurs brand. It's winning. If they're going to you know, clear cap space someday and be attractive to free agents. is because they have a winning culture. Sacrificing that to, to sneak into the lottery. Nah, it's not worth it. It's worth trying to go for the playoffs and, you know, you might end up in the lottery. The rest, as we just talked about, is very tight. The Spurs can be very good and still end up in the lottery, but going for the playoffs is the right move.
0: Yeah. And I look, I like their young guys. Um, I like Bryn Forbes a lot. I mean, the guy left off that list. Look, I love DeJounte Murray. Unfortunately, he is out for the season with that injury. Um, the rest of those guys, I think Bryn Forbes and David Bertrands are guys who can play a role, especially on a Greg Popovich team, but who can be role players. But ultimately for the long, for the long term with this team, it's DeJounte Murray and then whoever they ultimately get to replace, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan down the line, but they, they're not going to do that for a few years. Like you said, they're, they're, they're in this thing, even if they don't think they're contenders, um, they think, you know, maybe we can find a couple pieces and Greg Popovich can work his magic, but you know, that's a really solid team right now. They're not easy to play against.
1: Well, let's be real. The Spurs have made the playoffs for 21 straight years. They're not drafting in the lottery. It's very hard to acquire young talent. That's why their young talent base isn't something so great. Like those, yeah. some of those, A couple of those guys will turn out to be okay, but it's not anything worth being excited about. They don't have some great next generation. The one player they really hit on was Kawhi Leonard, and then they traded him for an older player. Uh, and, and so, yeah, this is a team with some fine young talent, DeJounte Murray was on the right track, especially defensively. I still think his, his shooting issues offensively, once he gets healthy, could cause some issues. Uh, but he's on the right track. He's young. And so they're they're good with their young talent for where they've been drafting. But it's almost impossible to build up enough young talent to be excited about, given where the Spurs have been
0: drafting. Yeah, exactly. I think they've done as well as you can for where they've been. Um, any other early surprises or teams that have kind of uh, intrigued you to start the season, Dan?
1: Well, the Kings. I mean, the Kings yes. are, are probably the biggest surprise to me. And, you know, we mentioned the Rockets and Jazz and Celtics uh, as teams have disappointed. But the one team that's gone the other way in the biggest way is the Kings. And we've expected them to drop off uh, for weeks now. It's like, okay, that was a nice start, but now they're going to fall back to earth. Okay, well, they're doing a little longer, but now they're going to fall back to earth. But they're competing. They're playing well. Uh, De'Aaron Fox has taken the next step. Uh, Nemanja Bielitza has been very good. I think Dave Yeager has done a fantastic job. Uh, amid questions above him in the organization. And, you know, at 10 and 10, they've been very impressive.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, James Hamm was on, we did the podcast and I think he had a really good point, which is they found their identity with pace and, and, and Deandre, um, I mean, Deere and Fox can absolutely play that way. And they've got other young guys who can as well. And I'm with you, Bielica, look, when you're winning, you play Bielica, you, you, if you want to force feed Bagley, who's, by the way, getting run. It's not like the guy's not playing, but, you know, if if you're out of it at the end of the season and you want to run him out there 35 minutes a night, great, go for it. I, I like Bagley. I still think there's a lot of potential there, and he's showing some of that, especially on the offensive end, but right now you're in the playoff mix, man. Go with what wins. This is a fun, exciting team. Don't screw it up by deciding you should be, you know... Hey, we drafted this guy. I've got my ego involved. We've got to play him a lot, which is I got a feeling what's going on in the front office there. and th- th- There's a lot of politics. Go read the Sam Amick piece um, uh, from The Athletic about it that would just really details the uh, the, the, f- the joyous front office that can be the Sacramento Kings. Uh, but yeah, I, with you, I think that that's another team, by the way, that's like league pass favorites. Hunt them out because they're just entertaining to watch. They play fast, they play hard, and uh, they make plays.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, they are, man, maybe the only team in the league that is exceeding what I thought was the range of possibilities for that team. Uh, yeah. I mean, some teams are definitely on the high end of what I thought they could be. Uh, but I don't like the Clippers, like the Bucs. But I was, I'm was i not shocked by that. I am shocked by how good the Kings are.
0: Yeah, exactly. Same with Toronto. I think this is about as good as they could be. But they've actually had a relatively soft schedule we'll see uh-huh. what we'll see what Toronto looks like now you know i think december's a good a, a good uh, bellwether for them about just just how good they are because the schedule is getting tougher starting with the warriors in a couple days and and all that and the and the grizzlies tonight um well, let's move on we i promised everybody we'd talk a little bit about the awards dan and uh, we'll start with mvp and uh no one you know or at finky town says We need to do some Joel Embiid MVP talk, which somebody out there listening just laughed. I'm telling you, I do some television hits and radio hits, but television in Philly at least twice a month, and that topic inevitably comes up. They want him to win some awards out there, so I'm not sure he's on the top of the list right now, though, Dan.
1: He's not on the top of my list, but he is playing like he's going for MVP. He's yeah. taken on a large load, doing a ton for them, doing it well. I don't think he's quite there, uh, but a lot of MVP is about effort. Um, so I have Giannis Antetokounmpo number yeah. one on my list uh, right now, and I, you know, I have him, you know, obviously ahead of Joel Embiid, But I have LeBron James number two. Yeah, and you know, I could see LeBron letting up at some point, not wanting to put in the effort. And if Joel Embiid maintains this. Uh, LeBron falling behind him, but catching Giannis, who is in a great position, seems to want to be this dominant player this year. Is young like Embiid? I don't know how Embiid does that. Uh, barring Giannis just falling off a little bit, which I see no reason for that to happen, it could happen, but I just see no reason for it to happen.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. By the way, first off, I think the caveat with MVP, aside the fact that it's you know we're quarterway into the season, is if Steph Curry had been healthy. Like he was very early on the best player in the NBA. Um, now that he's missed all this time, I don't have him on the list because he's just missed too much time. If he comes back during this road trip, possibly starting Thursday uh, for the Warriors in Toronto, he comes back and comes back to form. He gets himself back in that conversation down the line. So um, that said, I had the top two flopped. I would have said I had a. <laughs> I got called. The, it'll be out on one of the major so major social media and media outlets. Um, Around the NBA, you'll be able to find it really easy There's a straw poll coming And uh, I had to stop and think about it for a while I'm like, wow, it's kind of close between Giannis and LeBron I would put LeBron 1 and Giannis 2 But I could coin flip them right now um, Curry's kind of out of it Then you get into the other guys like Anthony Davis And I'll tell you, the other guy who just doesn't get talked about enough But would be a, kind of a fringe Third, fourth guy, fit maybe fifth guy Kemba Walker is killing it This season in Charlotte He is just phenomenal
1: I thought you might say a different uh, Eastern Conference point guard who doesn't get enough credit, uh, Kyle Lowry.
0: Yeah, he has been yeah, great you know, as well. I mean,
1: I don't have him quite in those heights, but if he keeps playing like this, the actual end-of-season MVP ballot goes five deep, and he's playing like somebody who maybe deserves that fifth spot, although it's hard to believe he would get credit over Kawhi just because of perception. Yeah, now, whether he deserves it or not, I think the, both those guys are, are having very good years.
0: Yeah, they 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 have both played well, which is part of the reason for the what, very fast start out in you know seventeen and four start out in Toronto, where they're tearing it up. But they those guys have meshed pretty well, and, and Lowry, and we, I think we were all like, well, how's he going to work? We're so used to seeing him with the Rosen, but given a little more space and given the ball, he's he's been fantastic. Yeah,
1: I, and by the way, I'm glad you brought up Steph Curry. Um, I think we're attacking this thought exercise in the same way, which is who deserves these awards so far, yeah. not predicting who's going to win it. Right. But I think in this time he's been injured, Steph Curry has improved his MVP case. The way the Warriors have yep. not only struggled, but had this internal strife without him, I think really adds to the idea that Curry is who makes that team go.
0: Yeah, like you say, you can tell it's Curry's team. <laughs> By the way, it has played... Uh... Why, by the way, it's become a weirdly mid range team without him. They just, he goes down, and I think like their mid range shots went up by, I think it was like 10 or 11%. I was looking at the numbers the other day. It's kind of stupid how it, crazy while they just, Curry's not out there to space the floor. Kevin Durant drives and pulls up for mid ranges, and they just become a mid range team. I,
1: I think that's part of it, um, you know, it, it is the spacing. But part of it is how many threes is Curry taking? A, per game this year when he plays. I mean, just removing him from the lineup. The Warriors yeah. are not a team deep with three-point shooters. Uh, I think between Curry and Clay Thompson, they make up for a lot of that because they are the elite of the elite. But it's not a team with... this. The Warriors have fewer good three-point shooters than the average team does. It's just that their best three-point shooters are way better than, than any other team has. Yeah. Uh, Curry is at 10.5 three-pointers a game. So even beyond the floor spacing, just taking him out of the lineup and those shots out of the lineup, I think, is cutting into it.
0: Exactly. Um, rookie of the year. Um, obviously, it's Ben Simmons again. I mean, he can win it every year, right? No. Um, sorry. that just had to make that joke. Um, actually, we got a note here from Travis Tingey. Uh I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Tingy. He says, Aiton, rookie of the year, easily. To which I would say, I don't know about easily. And I don't even know that he would lead right now. Because I think it might be Luka Doncic. If I had to choose. I mean, Aiton's numbers raw numbers are impressive his defense is we'll politely call it a work in progress um but Aiton's been I mean it's not everybody's like the highlights it's not that it's he's leading a team that's a 500 team right now
1: yeah I uh I think if you say easily in this race you discredit yourself That shows you've got some type of bias or don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I mean, if you say it's very close, but I also think it's very close between three players. And I'd honestly favor Jaron Jackson at this point. I I think he has been the best rookie so far, but is very close with Donchich and Aiton. I I don't feel strongly about any of the
0: three. By the way, I'm glad you brought him up because he was on my list of not only playing well and fitting in very well next to Marcus, and like we knew defensively he was going to be good, Right. I mean, defensively, we thought he would be able to block some shots and, and kind of impact the game quickly. I don't think anybody expected his offense to be where it is already. Um, I'll, you know?
1: I'll be I'll be honest. I did have some concerns about him defensively. Not, not necessarily in the long run, but as a rookie. I wasn't yeah. sure whether he'd be strong enough, whether he'd be tough enough, whether he'd get pushed around. It is good for him that he gets to play power forward. I think we might judge his defense differently if we were on a team that had to play him at center already, which I think is his best long-term position. Uh, but is is not necessarily his best position right now.
0: Yeah, exactly. But he is, you're right, he is right there to me. Um, everybody likes Trey Young, but he's just too streaky. I mean, he's going to put up numbers, but he's just a, when he's good, he's very good. When he's bad, he's pretty darn bad. And it's kind of all over the map, even within games sometimes where he's just bad for three quarters and good for a quarter and stuff. Um, so he's not quite there. But this is kind of a deep and interesting class. And th- this is always, by the way, an award, I think, that, I suppose there's a recency bias with a lot of the awards and guys hot in the second half tend to do better. But I think that's particularly true with rookies just because, you know, I'm going to use Donovan Mitchell last year as the easy example. Cause he was in the conversation, you know, he wasn't off to a fast start. He made a leap when he made his leap, you know, he, he vaulted himself into that conversation. And I think you see this year, everybody expected it to just grow exponentially with him and, and, you know, um, in Boston with Jason Tatum, they're like, oh they're just going to keep this trajectory going. No, guys that have those big first years tend to plateau a little in the second year, or at least at the start of them, because they've kind of already made the leap. And I, um, you know, we'll see who makes that among these guys.
1: I I think I disagree with the idea that it's who has the big second half wins Rookie of the Year. I I think a lot of times we make up our mind early and say, oh, this guy's the best rookie, and especially with There are definitely rookies who fall off late in the season. It's 82 games. It's more than they've ever played in the season. Uh, And a lot of times they just run out of gas. But sometimes we've already made up our mind. I think last year that helped Ben Simmons, that for so long everybody said, well, Ben Simmons is rookie of the year. Nobody's close. Great for him. And then Don Mitchell had to make such an impressive late surge to get into the race. I mean, he closed the gap in a way that I don't think we see often. I I think that one is counter to my point and it fits into yours, but I think oftentimes we make up our mind early. It doesn't seem like we're doing that this year. I, I don't really hear a consensus for Doncic or for Aiden no. or for Jackson. I, I hear all of them mention. Jackson's probably mentioned the least, but I hear him mentioned sometimes, and I hear uh, the other two mentioned about fairly equally. So I don't know if we have a consensus. So maybe this is another year that'll be the exception, which maybe proves you right, that that it's going to come down to who steps up in the second half.
0: Yeah, I'd like to think I'm always right, but I think there's <laughs> that validity to your point that a lot of times we, once you see somebody out in front in the race, you you make somebody else catch them. I think that you saw that a little bit. You see that in MVP too, where you know you get to uh-huh. midseason and you're like, oh man, Russell Westbrook's averaging a triple double, or this is James Harden's year; he's really stepped up, and then somebody has to come and take that award away from them in a sense. And um, that, that certainly can happen with rookie of the year too. Um, we'll, we'll see. I, I agree with you this year. I think it's, it's really wide open right now and team success could play into that, especially with Donkic. If, if Dallas can continue to kind of surprise and be a, a 500 level team, I'm not really sold. They can do that. But then again, it's the West. I I've given up trying to figure out who's good and who's bad in this conference. Um, We could move on then. Let's move on to Defensive Player of the Year, which is another one where not only is there not a consensus, it's really kind of open just because we went into the season saying, all right, it's Rudy Gobert again. He'll be in the mix and Draymond Green will be in the mix. Well, Draymond's missed a lot of time. Gobert has been good, but the Jazz have not been elite when he's, I mean, they've been good, but not otherworldly with him defensively on the floor. And that race is now wide open.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think it is wide open. The two names I uh, came up with as the strongest contenders uh, for this point, I guess I'll go in order I have, is Robert Covington uh, and Mark Gasol. Robert Covington played very good defense for the 76ers. He's playing very good defense for the Timberwolves. The way his defense has traveled and he's fit into a, a different team so seamlessly and elevated the defensive level of both teams, very impressive to me. And Marc Gasol is doing a lot of the things that won him Defensive Player of the Year a couple of years ago. Uh, he is using his size, he is directing traffic, he's using his basketball intelligence and really making it uh, hard for people to score in the Grizzlies as a
0: team. Yeah, exactly. Actually, if you told me right now, Marc Gasol would be the guy on the top of my list for that reason. He has really got, the you know, that's a team that's deep. Their offense isn't what drives the Memphis Grizzlies and never has been, Um but they're really relying on him more and more. They don't have Tony Allen quite anymore. You know, they've got some good guys there, but it really is Marcus All uh, directing everything and running that show there. But I think your Covington points a really good one. He's become the defensive leader in in Minnesota. You know, they did a thing yesterday where he's he's in Towns' ear and pushing him on that side and telling him where he's got to be and being the kind of quarterback that Marcus All's being. Um, and you don't see that as much from wing players. Um, so I, I agree that those two are in there. By the way, Sixers fans, if you're looking for an award Joel Embiid has a shot at, I think this is one. I think like when you're looking at the, like I said, we think it's wide open, and when you talk about guys to keep an eye on on that list, I think Joel Embiid is in there.
1: Yeah, I do too, and it, it goes back to what we are talking about with MVP. He's young and would seemingly have the stamina, and I yeah. I think, hope, knock on wood, we're we're past some of these Injury concerns with him and somebody you can depend on to impact a lot of defensive possessions throughout the rest of the year. Mark Gasol, part of the reason he's been so good on defense is he's pacing himself a little bit on offense. It's easier with Mike Conley back, uh, but Mark Gasol is not doing quite as much as as he has done in the past. Maybe it gets to the point where the Grizzlies say, hey, Mark, we need you to score more. We need you to be more aggressive offensively. And if that happens, I would expect his defense to drop off.
0: Yeah. And by the way, the other part of the Joel Embiid thing is, since the trade, they're actually a bottom five defense in Philly. Um, I I don't expect that to last, but they did give up some depth there. Um, Not only Covington, who's fantastic, but Sarich has developed into a solid team defender, and they're just kind of still trying to figure it out on that end. But uh, it doesn't help your case when the team kind of drops off like that. So... Again, long way to go with that. That award in particular is always kind of, to me, just one of the one of the ones that takes a little longer to just to get a feel for. Um, we briefly touched on sixth man of the year earlier. Um, I, I, and I wrote this again. I wrote this, um, or actually am writing it for the... It'll be in tomorrow's power rankings. If I were going to vote on this right now, I think the Clippers would have two of the top three guys because Lou Williams is once again just owning you know, the fourth quarters and is the leading scorer off the bench and all that for the Clippers, and they're obviously playing fantastic. But I don't even know, having been to a bunch of, you know, a few Clipper games this season, bunch, few, however you want to describe it, in person, (laughs) Montrezl Harrell's energy and defense and what he brings to that second unit is really hard to overstate. He he has been phenomenal for them.
1: So I had Montrezl Harrell second in the league, and I had number one, DeMontas Sabonis from the yes. Pacers, who has been yes. very good. I'm not sure that'll hold up. He's making a lot of shots that he hasn't made in the past. I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Uh, but Harrell's energy and everything you just mentioned, I, I think will. Uh, Lou Williams taking on a very large role. It's tough to compare players like that, right? Harold yeah. isn't asked to do as much, but is absolutely dominating in his role. Lou Williams, not quite as efficient as last year, still has a very big role. There's something to that that matters. Uh, I think it's wide open for the third spot. Lou Williams is one of the literally dozen players I could name for that third
0: yeah. spot. Yeah, Chad Smith uh, was one of the people who sent us a message on that one, and he he did he was with you, Sabonis. The other guy he put, and I'm sure it was on both of our lists, Julius Randle uh, down in New Orleans, who's also been fantastic off the bench. Um, and, and, the other, and I'll tell you another guy who maybe gets overlooked a little, but I think has been great, Dennis Schroeder. In Oklahoma City, uh, he started for a bit while, obviously, while Russell Westbrook was out. But back in his sixth man role, um, he is thriving in that role.
1: Yeah, I think he's been a little bit better when filling in for Westbrook uh, than when he's coming off the bench. That shouldn't matter to me. I, I've kind of come around to the idea that part of a sixth man is is thriving when you're called on to start. Spot starts are part of the role but I haven't been so impressed with him not as much as others he fills up a box score because he you know shoots a lot because he shoots a lot uh, his defense is eh his yeah. efficiency is eh not that he's a bad player he's nice to have but in terms of sixth man of the year he's not really in the race for me
0: yeah uh, we'll see iski's there's a long way to go on that one as well but also I just I think that he is fit perfectly for the role they've kind of needed there in some ways with with Westbrook They need somebody Who can kind of Gun for them when, when out When 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 he does Miss time Or when he's on the bench and, and he's filled That role for them And honestly Sixth man Talk about an award That's often been About stat stuffing So we'll see how uh, That's I think The Lou Williams Advantage there too Is he just puts up Some raw numbers Off the bench That that turn your head And uh, I that one again Like you said I think that's Wide open right now Sabonis was a great call And like you said There's a whole lot Of other guys You could put in there I mean, if you talk about wide open ones, most improved. um, Jack Woods would like us to consider TJ Warren, who I think, yeah, I think that's actually a a pretty interesting call. I would have said this was Karis Levert's award to lose until he went down injured. And fortunately, that injury is not as severe as as it looked at the time. Um, That said, he's going to be out for a while. He's probably out of the running. And that just opens the door, I think, to uh, a few other guys.
1: Yeah, I, I think Zach Levine is yep. the front runner because his improvement has come via scoring. That's what usually draws attention. I'm not sure that's wrong. Uh, he is way better. Taking a higher usage, it's hard. It's hard to take more shots and even improve your efficiency. And then I wrote down a bunch of other names, and I, I don't know. I don't know how to sort these guys, including Levine. Uh Damian Jones from the Warriors, Emmanuel yeah. Mudiay with the Knicks, Demonis Sabonis with the Pacers, De'Aaron Fox with the Kings, Pascal Siakam with the Raptors, and Josh Richardson with the Heat. And the one note I'll give on Josh Richardson, who has gotten a lot of attention for this award, he was really darn good last year and didn't get enough credit. I still think he's better this year. Maybe you know I still have him on my list of contenders, uh, but I do think he was pretty underrated last year, and that counts against him for how much he's improved.
0: Yeah, he has improved, but he's also improved while being asked to step up in role, which is something I think you got to consider. They, the, the way, especially with Goran Dragic out for a stretch, they've put the ball in his hands a lot and dem- asked and demanded a lot of him, and he and he, he stepped up for that. I think the you listed a lot of guys I would have on there. I am, I, I would. Consider deer and Fox, I have this bias on this award about giving it to second and sometimes even third-year players because we expect improvement out of them, but he's been phenomenal. I will say one of the guys, by the way, featured today at uh, Pro Basketball Talk, go read the, the uh, profile I did. I, I think Nikola Vucevic is another guy you got to kind of put in there, put in a slightly different role, been more efficient, knocking down threes, hitting uh, jumpers, but all, and all you know, playing more next to the basket and really being used brilliantly in Orlando. And if you're going to do that, by the way, contract year. That's the time to do <laughs> that.
1: I'm going to give you a hard time on your uh, not liking second and third year guys because they're supposed to. Do you not want a number one overall pick for rookie of the year because he's supposed to?
0: Yeah, see, uh, see I, 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 I get that. Me.
1: If yeah. you're, like, you got to do it. You know, you have to actually... And, and I'm not somebody who holds a, where a player... Like if they're coming in their first year their second year or if they're in their third year or if they're in their ninth year, I don't, I don't view those as differently. I'm looking to see how much you've improved from where you were before. And I still skewed probably in a list toward older players toward the range you'd consider. So I don't necessarily think those younger players have this, this huge advantage for that, for that award.
0: I don't know. There is something to, I think guys adjust and make leaps in, in, in their youth, but, but the level of leap that in this case, we're talking about De'Aaron Fox has made, um, is pretty stunning. I just did, I did not see it coming and I did not see it coming at that level. So, um, the other award, the other big end of season award that we haven't touched coach of the year, I think this is one where I'd say Mike Budenholzer is probably the front runner, but you know, the name I would throw in there to go with it is Nick Nurse in Toronto, first year coach. Um, yeah, they played really well last year, but they've, in, you know, they made a major roster change, moving out DeMar DeRozan. Uh, but I love what he's done using Pascal Siakam, using OGN Novi, using a more diverse offense. I just I like the way they look right now.
1: Yeah, I'd probably have Nurse fourth on my list right now. He's made some nice tweaks to what they were doing in the past. He didn't have to establish the base, establish the culture, yeah. and figure out all of that. But the tweaks are important too. And I had uh, Budenholzer second. But the guy I had number one is Dave Yeager with the Kings. Yeah, another uh, I
0: guy on my a, list, yeah.
1: yeah, done a great job getting this team to play fast, getting it to play together, making everything mesh together. And I'm giving, so I think awards are hard, whether it's coach of the year, executive of the year, or even the player awards, sometimes it's hard to parse credit. You know, a yeah. lot of times defensive player of the year, and I do this, the way to look at it is, are, who are the best defensive teams in the league? Now, who's responsible for that, and sort of go from there. But I can say this: I think Dave Yeager is overcoming the management in Sacramento. He's coaching so well despite the <laughs> the people above him, and so I think he should deserve should
0: get credit for that. Yeah, there's something to be said for that, and they're definitely good. By the way, that that point of like with defensive player of the year, that is one of those things people struggle with, and I struggled with because I look at it, I kind of do that too, and I'm like, man, look at those Celtics. Who should I give credit to? And it's not. With the Jazz, it was easy. It's like, okay, it's Rudy Gobert. Yeah, they 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 have good other perimeter defenders. Ricky Rubio's underrated. What have you? They funnel every they funnel stuff into that guy. He blocks shots. Uh-huh. He makes plays. It's easy to see how he impacts things. You get to Boston, and you're like, yeah. I mean, that's like an elite defense. But it's, <laughs> it's like Brad Stevens, I guess, gets the credit because it's you know they've got a lot of versatile guys who can switch and do things but it's more about how they're utilized than saying this one guy um and i think there's something to that for coach of the year too where it's like you're you're trying to parse credit for hey this player you know uh, last year um in indiana the, you know nate got a bunch of uh, um coach of nate the year McMillan. talk yeah nate mcmillan gets all this coach of the year talk i don't think he had anything really to do with the fact that Victor Oladipo made this huge leap and put his body in better shape and all that. Now, he gave him the ball and got out of the way. He, he did some smart, you know, I, I don't want to say he was doing a bad job as coaching, but like, how do you parse that as coach of the year because he exceeded expectations when a lot of that necessarily wasn't for him?
1: Yeah, I agree 100% on the concept and McMillan specifically. Uh, can can I sidetrack us for a moment with a similar discussion? Yeah. Are the, are the Clippers going to have any All-Stars this year?
0: That's a really good question. Because,
1: because team, usually that's how it works, is the the reserve-picking coaches will say, okay, well, this team's really good. They deserve, do they deserve one all-star, or do they deserve two? And it's not based on, you know, who which players deserve this individual honor. It's right. their team is good, so they just get an all-star. But I don't know who that is on the Clippers. I see a very balanced team that is well-coached, by the way, at Doc Rivers third on my yeah, Coach Doc. Doc, was, Doc was on
0: my list. Yeah, as well. He's been phenomenal.
1: And so they're well coached. They're deep. Everybody's pretty good. I mean, I guess Tobias Harris would be the leading contender, but the Western Conference, I don't view him as a top twelve player at this point.
0: Yeah, I could say Tobias Harris, or I think because he's puts up the raw numbers. Do you throw it at Lou Williams just for being Lou Williams off the bench? But I, you're right. It's a really, especially in the West where the names are so big, and you think about guard in particular. It's like. <laughs> it's just, you know, Curry and Thompson and Westbrook and Harden and, 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 and. It, you just, I mean, I don't know where it's hard to find a space for like, hey, they've got a good team. We should reward this guy in the West when it's just stupid deep with good players.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is an interesting team where, where they might be one of the better teams not to get an all-star. And I don't think that's wrong. I, you know, I mean, we'll see how it plays out between now and all-star selection. I, I can't rule out that they'll deserve one, but at this point, if I'm picking it, I don't think they do.
0: Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why Kimba Walker's gone off. Maybe Kimba Walker realizes, you know what? <laughs> Charlotte is hosting the all-star game there this year. I can't miss it. I have to, I have to represent. So I'm just going to blow up in the first half of the season.
1: It was, a, it was a shame it took so many injury replacements to get him in last year. I mean, he deserved yes. it. Yeah, he did. And, and, and that's why that's why he didn't get a spot is because there's spots held out for for guys on better teams who don't necessarily deserve it, but the, the coaches feel like that team deserves a certain number of all-stars. And so somebody like Kemba Walker, who's awesome, but, but last year was stuck with teammates who couldn't get it done. The Hornets completely fell apart whenever he went to the bench. He couldn't get a breather without the team just going giving up a big run. He gets squeezed out, and that's not right.
0: No, it's not, and it's and that I, th- I, you're right. I think especially at All Star, some of those guys get squeezed, and and then you, you, you try to find a way. I know I personally, those are the kind of guys. Sometimes I want to make sure get an all All NBA level nod, just because, you know, they deserve it. And that's 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 another. That's a whole other discussion. We're not going to do that award today. Um, that's that's always to me. That's always one of the tougher ones. And honestly, just as a guy with a vote, I sweat All NBA more than anything, because it directly impacts salary. Because more than I mean, yeah, MVP does and Defensive Player of the Year can, but man, I I sweat third team all NBA like nobody's business. Like that I watch more and study more and talk to people more about that than just about anything.
1: Yeah. Um I never thought about that, that uh that voters are going to of their time they put into it, uh spend a little extra on all NBA. And I think that's a good thing because I've always viewed all NBA as something that should be more important than it is uh, because it, unlike all Star, encompasses the whole season. Yeah. I, I think it's a really good or well-designed award to really show who had the best season at this point and really reflect what's going on in the league. And is something I think that in the past has been glossed over too much. So maybe that is a positive side effect to, to these new rules.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's also, I think the, um, To me, it's a better snapshot. Like, I mean, we start talking Hall of Fame. There's, all right, if in any given year, there's 24 All-Stars. And I don't want to diminish making the All-Star game, especially if you're, you know, one of those guys who makes a dozen of them or whatever. But to me, if you're one of the 15 best players, if you're one of the, I mean, it's still done by position. If you're one of the three best centers or six best guards or however you're going to do this, even in a positionless NBA, man, that to me, matters more than making the All-Star. Like, that's the thing on the resume when you're looking at Hall of Fame and history and legacy matters more.
1: I agree 100%, but what is the first thing brought up?
0: It's All-Star. Oh, it's All-Stars. It's always All-Stars. Because that's the the bigger stage. So, I I get it. I get that, but it doesn't, you know... Look, the All-Star vote I have, you know what it is? You get to pick the starters. Which is kind of ridiculous because it becomes the same stupid discussion of... So which insanely good West guards am I leaving off (laughs) this ridiculous, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm really dismissing, I don't know, Damian Lillard. Like, come on. No, Damian Lillard's amazing. But if he's the fourth best guarded, I've got two votes, you know, sorry, man. So all right. Oh wow,
1: Damian Lillard hater here, fourth best guard.
0: He got third. Oh
1: my God, you hate him so much.
0: Yeah, clearly, clearly, I'm. I'll never do uh, television in Portland again. Which is, you know, I'll I'll somehow live. All right, man. Dan, thanks for doing this, buddy. Uh, Everybody, we will be back uh, next week. We've got two interesting podcasts next week. Uh, We'll be talking jazz early in the week, and then breaking down the Sixers later in the week with Serena Winters from uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia. So. Check that out. Uh, We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Dan, for doing this.
1: Thanks for having me. All
0: right.